This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Grace Brothers Gift Department. Have you been outright crotchety with your coworkers and need to make it up to them? Why not stop by the Grace Brothers Gift Department and pick up an electric hairdryer with three speeds on special for eight pounds? Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! Hey, I'm Jeff. And I'm Brandon, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Mr. Brandon. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Unanimous. Ah, another week and a fantastic episode. Fantastic episode. This is one of the more maudlin ones. Oh, um, yeah. But, I mean, I think it, it does have a good ending to it. Um, I think also watching it 50 years later, knowing that this is one of Mr. Granger's last episodes... I know. It, it adds a little something extra to it. And he actually has one more episode after this. It's the sequential episode after this one. But it was like, it, it, I mean, I don't think they planned on him leaving. I think he passed away. Yeah, so, because he, he did the movie. He did the movie that summer. Yeah, uh, and I want to give a little shout out to Mr. Gregory. Uh, as we know, if you're a new listener to the show, uh, we have the unanimous fans of the show, the listeners, and we have a Facebook page and people give us little tidbits. And one of our tidbits um, for this episode we're recording is from Gregory on Facebook. Um, he says, since Mr. Granger's last appearances in the movie, the Are You Being Served movie, I like to think that he stayed behind in Costa Planca and retired. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> yeah, apparently he gets stuck. I haven't really seen the movie, but he gets stuck in the airport and Gregory thinks that Mr. Gray somehow just says, oh, why don't you just stay in Spain <laughs> and never come back? So that's, in his mind, he's still alive, which is that's lovely. That's a great way to retcon uh, Mr. Granger. Why don't we, in, in, um, instead of going from season five right to season six, why don't we do the movie in between? <gasps> Ooh. Um, can, I'm, we can do that. I'm very yeah, happy to do that. You can get the movie on Amazon Prime or on iTunes. I think it's seven ninety nine. And you should own it. I mean, come on, people. Don't skimp with the with the <laughs> canon, really. But that's a and, cool idea. Because he's yeah. like one of the core main characters. And we I'm not ready have to, to say goodbye yet. I know. We have to figure out what happens with him. So maybe after the next episode, then we do the movie. But we'll do the movie, yeah. Oh, Mr. Granger. All right. Good idea. So thanks, okay. Greg. Gregory. Yeah. And we also heard uh, from other folks, didn't we, Mr. Jeff? We did. Uh, Heidi and her pet Rottweiler uh, <laughs> suggested that maybe we do a bit on Agatha Christie at some point, uh, since this is the hundredth anniversary oh, of yeah. her um, of her first book. Uh, something like that. Yes, you said we should do it for the. Um, I am unanimous in this. So I have to admit, I've not read any of her books. I'm I so might- sorry. I might have read one of her books in high school, but it has been a million years since that. So You know, if only we knew someone who knew a lot about Agatha Christie who might be able to help us out. But we'll have to see how that would work. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So, Agatha Christie. So, in the meantime, please, everyone, wash your hands, wear a mask, and remember that Black, Black Lives, Lives matter. matter. We also heard from Anthony, didn't we, Mr. Jeff? 
We did. We had Anthony join our fray on the Facebook page. So thank you very much for joining us, Anthony and everyone. Gladys says hello. Um, as you've heard from the uh, intro to our last episode, uh, we are now post-election. It has been decided, and uh, we know who our new president-elect is going to be. So hooray, team Who's Biden that? Harris. <laughs> thank you, Esmeralda. Yay! Thank you, Gladys. So, um... Yeah. I got to use my props. (laughs) So, uh, not, you know, you're not going to hear very many pleas from us from now on to remember to go register to vote because this bit is over. That is, unless Unless you live in Georgia. Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) We both did that at the same time. Um, I don't know. Do we have a lot of people in Georgia? I bet, you know, I bet you uh, Kimberly would know some people. I bet you Kimberly will get a voicemail. She's like, listen, yeah, I've got like a thousand people. I'm going to send them all to y'all guys. All right. Yeah. So in the meantime, in the meantime, everyone, please remember, you've all done very well. You've all done very well. Yes, indeed, indeed. So, Mr. Jeff, what are we talking about this week? So today is Series 5, Episode 6, Goodbye, Mr. Granger, which originally premiered on April 1st, 1977. And that week in the news, the 504 sit-in protest began. Uh, Disability rights advocates protested at federal health education and welfare departments across the country in order to advocate for uh, federal laws and protection. Uh, and they lasted about about a month or so. Uh, it was named after the, the, the code in the federal law that dealt with um, disability protections. Oh, cool. I, I, I have to, I'm ashamed to say I was not aware of that, so that's good to know. Is this something that would um, eventually create the ADA, that's the a, Americans with Disabilities there Act? There you go. That's exactly right. Oh, well, fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Um, There was a bit of bad weather in the south of the U.S. as a total of 21 tornadoes touched down across Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia that week. You know, being from that part of the country, you can taste it in the – you can smell it in the air when a tornado is coming. What does a tornado smell like? I've never been (sighs) – It's it's difficult. Like, describe the color blue. Um, It's – you know when there's a big storm – Yep. And if there's lightning and you're in like a parking lot and you have that, it almost smells like asphalt. Okay. Um, there's like a metallic kind of thing in the air. It's probably not even all the smell. It's, I don't know. But it, there's this weird lack of wind. It's like all of the air in the, in the world has been like sucked up into the cloud and everything's very, very, very still. It's really kind of scary, you know. Hmm. Being, having grown up on the East Coast, like the only thing I know about tornado preparedness comes from that episode of Roseanne where it gets, you know, it gets really hot. The sky turns a kind of dark green. And I remember Mm. hearing about like the, the stillness in the air until if you could hear the train coming, it's already too late. You need to get in your storm cellar. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, it's, it's, there's some part of it, like being in a tornado that of course, you know, people can die and your house can be destroyed. And if you're lucky that never happens, it is an amazing, awesome thing of nature. Um, which you don't really get to notice if you're on the coasts because you have to have all the land and all the stuff to make it. But yeah, I wouldn't wish a tornado on anyone, but if you're going to be in one and nothing happens, it is an awesome thing to experience. But 21 in one one week, oh, that was a rough week back in April 77. So at least the people in England and Britain had this episode to to calm them <laughs> from as they the were non- worrying about their uh, friends and their family. friends in, in the states yeah, yeah exactly um, Queen Elizabeth II was making a world tour around this time for her silver jubilee which is her 25th anniversary of her coronation 
And this week she visited uh, Papua New Guinea, India, and Oman. Hmm. So all parts of the Commonwealth. She's been a queen for a long time. Long, long, long <laughs> time. So we have an episode. We know what was happening that week. Let's open up the episode. What do we see? The first thing, Mr. Jeff. So the weirdest thing, like, I don't know why they've chose to do this 32 episodes in. But the opening titles are in blue for some reason this week. I don't know if they were trying something out or what was going oh, on, but yeah. they're, they're colored blue instead of white. Um, and the end credits match as well. So, weird. I don't know. Maybe there was some kind of, like, um, special on that week where they were trying to do some kind of promotion. Like, um... Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think. Maybe it was, like, a social thing. Right. But I don't think they... Did they do that kind of thing in 77? I don't know. Like a Red Nose Day, but like a Blue Titles Day? I don't know. Yeah, Red Nose is like, in the States we have, uh, is it Walgreens or CVS? Walgreens. Walgreens. It's like a, a chemist shop that's there in every town. And one what, one month a year, one week a year, they have a Red Nose thing where you wear a, a, like a clown nose. And somehow it makes people healthier. Somehow I don't it's, know. They give money. It's, or something. it's a charity thing, right? Because it's based off of Red Nose Day in England, where they have um, they have all of these celebrity specials and things like that. They do. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, they do. Um, uh, like a lot of comic books. Like a lot, I know, like Catherine Tate did a couple of specials for oh, that, and they'll yeah. have, like have like a special episode of the Graham Norton show and. Things like that. Where it's it's all... a cross-pollination across the Atlantic Ocean go, once right? again. <laughs> so we start off and Mrs. Slocum is telling Miss Brahms about her night out with Mrs. Axelby at the Palais de Danse. Some place mm-hmm. we've heard about before. Yes. And yeah. uh, there were no good-looking men there, so they just danced with each other, right? Um, <laughs> but she's telling a story about how Mrs. Axelby knew the band leader. So at midnight, when they played a Paul Jones... Every time the band stopped, the ladies were opposite each other. So I have no I, I had no idea what this is, but I kind of figured it out from context. Okay. Um, it's it's a kind of a mixer dance where they try and get new people to meet each other, and you end up with like a new partner every time they say stop or like at like every sixth bar or whatever. So if you picture, imagine a square dance, right? where the men are in the outer circle and the women are in the inner circle and everybody okay. weaves in and out of each other, like grabbing your right hand and grabbing the left hand, right? That kind of I thing. I didn't know you were a square dancer, Mr. Jeff. That's interesting. That is, that's, um, <laughs> that's a Paul Jones, right? Oh, I thought Paul Jones was like a band conductor, like, like Glenn Miller or something. No, that's, that's the name know. of that dance in, uh, oh, okay. in England. Uh, in square dancing, it's called a grand right and left because you're passing people on the right and on the left as you kind okay. of weave in and out. Um, so they, they, that was, you know, the band stopped and Mrs. Axelby and Mrs. Slocum were partners again, so they wouldn't have to meet any of these ugly men. I'm wondering if that's actually a sign that they were the people that no one wanted to dance with, so people kept, like, passing them along they, and they ended up with each that's, other. Yeah. That's the subtext here. Aww. So the the language nerd in me picked up on something really interesting that um, Mrs. Slocum said. Uh, okay. You know, they were uh, – her and Mrs. Axelby were getting ready, and they didn't want to make a big, big night of it. So she told her, don't let's bother dressing up. And that's a really odd construction to American ears, because in American English, we would say, let's not bother dressing up, right? Oh, yeah. You're, now that you say that, it, don't let's. Right. 
Like the, do not let us bother dressing up. When you, when you, yeah. when you parse it weird. out, it sounds really weird, right? I think um, to people of a certain age that are familiar with uh, They Might Be Giants, the American folk, pop, modern rock group, one yeah. of their famous songs is Don't Let Start. And so that's where that you know people may be familiar with that construction. But this is the way that in British English they express what's called the hortative mood which is where you're trying to uh, implore someone to do something, right? You use the first person plural, the let's, in, or, in front of a command, right? So if you were to tell someone... I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you, um, you, know, you had a family member that was um, laying about on the couch while everyone else was getting ready, you would tell them, dress up, right? That's the, yeah. the, the command, the imperative form, right? And yep. then if you're trying to cajole your whole family to do it, it's let's dress up. Okay. Right? Okay, so that let's is what gives you the, uh, the hortative mood. So now, if you were, um, if you're, if, if you, you tell your, you tell one person dress up, what if you, what if you want them to, to not, to do the, uh, to the opposite, to neg, you know, how would you say the negative of that? So dress up, and then the negative of that is... Put on a Florida shirt. No, just use the same, like, kind of words. <laughs> Don't dress up. Right. So in English, we have something called do support, where when you express the negative of something, you have to use a form of the verb do, do, does, or did, in order mm. to do make that negative. And so that's where they, they carry that over into the UK English. They carry that do support over. So don't let's. Rather than let's I not. guess it just makes more sense if you have British ears, you know? <laughs> I try. Yeah, it's it's still really, really odd. Like, I understand the logic behind it, but um, let's not seems much simpler. It, I agree. Yeah. And that, we agree. <laughs> so, over on the gentleman's counter, Humphreys and Lucas are having their own gossip about Mr. Humphreys' ice skating lessons. Uh, and then Granger interrupts them and reprimands them for gossiping. Uh, he's been in a foul mood all week because next week he's losing the center display stand uh, to the ladies for their bra week. And you know and how course, he hates that. The, the center display stand to Mr. Granger is the alpha and the omega of his life. He's very it is territorial the most about thing. it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think we've all worked with people like, I, I can't remember. Oh, there's a guy I used to work with, God, like 10 years ago. He was... His little department really didn't do anything, <laughs> but man, the the way you would think that he would walk about and um, carry on about his little task he did, it was the most, like, the entire company would fall apart mm -hmm. if it wasn't for him. Um, you know, that happens to some, some people yeah. sometimes. So, um, Mr. Lucas quotes his mother, the philosopher, you know, the one that is in the, uh, in the wheelchair that is missing the battery from their deaf aid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she says, at the end of the day, the black pawn and the white queen both go in the same box, which I think is, you know, pretty, um, pretty wise. Uh, for pretty the, box of chocolate for the, kind yeah, of. Yeah, for the yeah. Lucas's character to say. And Mr. Alfred quips, <laughs> yeah. well, that's something to look forward to. <laughs> Which I don't really <laughs> get what that means. Like, why, uh, I, mean, I guess, you know, the, the queen, like, that's the only thing I could pick up on. Like, why he would, his character would find that um, amusing or something to look forward to. But just even the way he responds to it, 
You'll, you guess well, is, you know, another thing is um, maybe this is us being American. Um, box over there is a synonym for crotch. Well, that's more over here, right? Or is that is, is that worldwide? Because I was thinking like well, over I know, there, fanny. Well, I know Yoko Ono in the '60s, I think, or the '70s, had a song where she referred to her box, and I always oh. thought of her as kind of speaking the English. The British English. But. Oh, and then there's that famous scene in Priscilla where um, uh, light your tamp on a fire and blow your box apart because that's the only bang you're ever going to get. Oh, so, <laughs> so maybe box is part of Commonwealth English. Okay. There we go. Got the it. things we think about on this on this podcast. Um, Captain Peacock is gossiping with the ladies as well about Mr. Granger not having made uh, any sales lately. Um, and that he gets to make uh, the final call about who has a center display stand. <laughs> and so Ms. Brahms um, is you know, kind of half serious and half mocking him. What does it feel like to have such power? Frightening. Like he's like proud. <laughs> that is the, one of the best lines that Captain Peacock ever has. Right. The, the stern look that he has in those beady eyes of his um, – Frightening. It's so cute. I love that. So Mr. Harmon comes over to set up said center display stand, but he can't quite do it yet because Granger has appealed Peacock's decision with Mr. Rumbold. Uh-oh. He went over his head. Um, Harmon hands over a note, um, and he Peacock opens it up and reads it, and he calls over Mrs. Slocum. We're going to go speak with Mr. Granger, but Miss Brahms mm-hmm. has to be left behind, right? Because this is a matter for senior people only. Oh, yes. She would – exactly. No, I, I, right. I completely agree with the uh, so, management decision. So, uh, you know, part of that is probably the classicism and the hierarchy of it, but it's also probably a little bit to spare Granger's feelings because he is friendly with Granger. You know, they, they, they refer to each other on first-name terms often. Uh, which he refuses oh, only to do. In the, only in the canteen, actually. Which he refuses to do with other people, right? So Granger right. reads the letter where we are assuming that Rumbold has agreed with Captain Peacock's decision that the ladies should get the center display stand. And he rips up the letter and stamps on it, much like what Mrs. Slocum did to his hat a few episodes you know there's something about i don't know about something about working in grace brothers you'd stamp on on hats and letters and paper what was the other thing mrs slocum yeah she stomped on his hat there was somebody else who stamped stomped on something else yeah but i don't remember i should stomp on more things more often i guess i don't know (laughs) So uh, Mr. Rumbold is telling young Mr. Grace a story about how Mr. Granger reacted, and he advises him, well, all old men get short-tempered at times, so I'm very busy, so why don't you go boil your head? <laughs> because <laughs> young Mr. Grace is really not that much older than Mr. Granger, right? Which is insane, yeah. So uh, Captain Peacock assembles the entire staff in Rumbold's office, except for Mr. Granger. Uh, do not leave the store because maybe Mr. Rumbold will want to see you after. And Granger mm. protests, I shall leave the store if I want to. And everybody leaves. And then he's all crestfallen and he says, but I don't want to. I know it's so sad. The audience thought it was a joke because they hadn't really transitioned to like melancholy at that point. Right. But then he says, but I don't want to. It was so sad. It's like Dumbo when like Dumbo's mom died yeah, or whatever. It's, it's just a, like, oh. All of a sudden, like the entire mood turns on a dime 
And, you know, we're not going to get a lot of hijinks about Mr. Granger being uh, crotchety with people. It's going to become a little a little maudlin and sad, right? Um, yeah. They discuss what to do about Mr. Granger. And, um, you know, Mr. Lucas suggests that they should do like they do with old faithful horses. So Put them out to pasture? No, send them to the knacker's yard. <laughs> okay, so we're going to have to, like, uh, I've, I've always heard, I think they did this with, like, Bugs Bonnie cartoons and stuff like that. Um, Wild E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. Right. Like, there'd be an old horse, and then you would see them with, like, a bucket of glue and then point to the horse. Right. And uh, I maybe I don't want to know this answer, <laughs> but... Uh, do we want to even go there? Uh. They, it, it's true. They used to make glue and adhesives out of, um, the, the sinew, um, from, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that, I'm going to have some tofu today, I think, in the canteen, I think. That, that, that's, that's what the, that's what the knacker's yard is. <laughs> Changing the topic very quickly. Yes. Um, what do the British people call, um, slaughterhouses? It's the most beautiful word of, of the entire language. I have no idea. Are you kidding? Have I stumped Professor Jeff? You, you, you probably have. Oh my God! This may, is. May, I don't maybe think. Maybe once a... you say it, it'll come to me. But off the top of my head, I have no idea. <laughs> yes. Once I tell you the answer, you're like, "Oh yes, that's right. That's the answer." <laughs> Hold on. I have to give my Gladys is. By the way, Gladys is feeling much better than last episode. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. So I had to give myself a little ding for that. Um, the the British the English word the British English word for slaughterhouses, which is what we call it. Is borrowed from the French abattoir. Oh, that's what that means. Yeah. Go me, Brandon. Um, Mr. Brandon, yeah, like slaughterhouse. The house where they go to slaughter. Or abattoir. I know which one I would use. <laughs> I always it sounds so much classier, doesn't it? It does. I always thought that it had something to do with an abbey. Or like a part of the a part of the house or the or the estate that used to be. You know, there's got to be like a 1970s horror film that's like L'Abattoir right? of Death or something, and it's like there's an Abbey and there's an American who's confused. <laughs> I thought it was an Abbey. Oh no! <laughs> so as they always do, like whenever. Um, this is something that repeats itself over and over again. We've already seen it a couple of times. They debate the merits of the members of the staff and decide if Mr. Humphreys is senior enough to rise to the top position and if Mr. <laughs> Lucas can fill his shoes, yes. right? And no one ever is, really. And no one is, right? <laughs> and so um, Captain Peacock says uh, that you need somebody with a lot of experience to take over the middle position. And Mr. Humphrey deadpans, oh, I agree. Like, he doesn't even have a twinkle in his eye about it, but everyone laughs at <laughs> Oh, I agree. Because they've heard, yeah. they've heard the word position, and that just sets and them off. We, the children knows what position means after our rather delicately described <laughs> podcast last time. With the spoons and the forks, and if you don't, list, if you don't remember, go back and listen. I'm not going to repeat that. So um, they're debating what steps to take next, right? Because they're all in agreement that... He's got to retire, but they don't know how to break the news to him. And, and let me just jump in real quick. And they're kind of being very ageist. I just want to say that. Yeah. Like, you know, like we all work places and there are people of all ages. And if you're, 
you know, if you don't want to retire, you don't retire. But they were just saying, oh, you know, his his hearing isn't very good. And he's his sight it. is, yeah, he's passed it, uh, what, um... It just felt really mean, and like that would not fly today. I'm very glad, you know, just because someone is, you know, of a mature age doesn't mean they don't deserve to work with you. Come on, yeah, um, yeah, that annoyed me. So, Mr. Lucas says it's very difficult to tell someone in their 70s too old. It softens the blow if it comes from someone in their 80s, right? <laughs> to which the staff really chalk chalk this up to him being immature again, and proving their point that he's not ready to take over the uh, middle assistant position, right? But at this point, Trevor Bannister, I guess, he strikes to me as someone who's maybe in his, like, middle 30s. How old was that guy? Oh. Or the character, even, of Mr. Lucas. I mean, they always like, young Mr. Lucas, well, compared to Mr. Granger, yeah, but... All right, let's go back to our notes from the very first episode where we figured out everybody's age, and then we'll add five And I love that Mr. Mr. Jeff has all of this at the tip of his fingers at all times. Okay, so... um, I don't actually have an age for Mr. Lucas. We only talked about uh, Mrs. Slocum, Mr. Humphreys, and Captain Peacock's ages in that episode. Well, I know Trevor Bannister, he was born in 34. So in 77... He would be 43. The yeah, like he doesn't... It's funny how he's like, but oh, he, young Mr. But he's of course playing much younger. He He's playing like someone in his early 30s, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... So um, back over on the floor, Harmon, Mr. Harmon gives Mr. Granger a report. The good news is I could hear every word I said. The bad news <laughs> is every word they said, right? That's so cute. They all wanted Do to you give, want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> they all wanted to give you the sack except Mr. Lucas. Oh, what a dear boy. He wanted to send you to the knacker's yard. And we get the surprised face with the jowls moving from uh, Where he, like, from Mr. moves Granger. his head very quickly to the side. Yeah. yeah. And he starts he starts reckoning the fact that he hasn't been behaving very well. You know, Mr. Granger hasn't mm. been doing well. She's been very upset since Mrs. Dale's diary went off the year, went off the air. <laughs> Mr. Arm was like, well, that was 20 years ago. Well, she, <laughs> she did love it, so. She did like the show. <laughs> um, Mrs. Dale's diary was the very first radio drama in the UK. Oh. And it was actually one of the first mainstream pieces of entertainment to depict homosexuality in a sympathetic light. No shit. I didn't know. I've never heard of this. One of the main characters, um, I think it's actually like Mrs. Dale's neighbor, um, the husband turned out to be gay. And it was dealt with very huh. sympathetically uh, to all involved. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, this is actually, this is kind of rewriting my understanding of queer media because if it really went off the air in 20, 20 years ago in 1977, that's 1957. I think it, I think it, very went, early. I think it went off the air in 67. I think, or you know what it is? I think that the show changed. Um, uh, it went through like a, a, all in the family to Archie Bunker's place. Like it became its own sequel. Oh, like a spinoff thing. Yeah, yeah. It became its own spinoff. And so the, the, the franchise went off the air in like 67, 69. But still, that's great. I mean, you know, there's yeah. a lot of... We always forget about radio and how that was the TV before TV. But, I mean, even in the 50s, um, I know TV... I have a feeling television was a bit more advanced in the States in the 50s Just a than it was in the UK. Yeah. We had more than yeah. one channel. <laughs> we had two or three. <laughs> so, oh, Mr. Granger is left alone to write his resignation letter and... 
Uh, the oh. lights dim with the spotlight on him, and they do this by Mr. Harmon turning out the lights as he leaves, which... So clever. So clever, except everyone's still in Rumble's office arguing. So they're going <laughs> well, to come out they... to, like, a dark, dark uh, floor. It's a very theatrical thing. I mean, you know, I, I remember there's an episode of, God, a show called Newhart with Bob Newhart mm-hmm. that I remember watching as a kid. And I think there's an episode where this happened. And a lot of times, like the last, like the last episode of uh, Mary Tyler Moore, like when she closed, when she turn walks the lights out, out, yeah, they turn out the lights. It's sort of like it, something's over, you know, and the message heard very loud. Uh, and it was so sad because he's like writing his little letter and uh. yeah, um, the finale of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, I believe, did that because they all moved out of the house, and um, oh, I don't remember a, that. He one. was the last one to turn off the lights. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very yeah. very common theatrical trope. So anyway, he starts uh, he starts um, writing his letter, and you hear uh, a voiceover narrating it, uh, dear Mister Grace. I, Ernest Granger, being of sound mind, this isn't his will. Why did he put that in his resignation <laughs> letter, right? Having given the best years of my life to your store, regretfully, and then the lights dim, we get a little bit of cash register music, and there's a scene change. I love um, his recording. So I was thinking how they probably did this scene. So they must have had the actor record his voice onto a tape machine. Right. And you hear it much more clear than you would if the actor was actually, you know, speaking in the scene. So they must have piped it in live when they were recording it. Do you re- and, do you think so? You don't think they put it in post? I don't know. I, I'm not sure they did, but it was really interesting to just hear the way he spoke. I mean, you could hear, like, the saliva sounds. Like, you know, when you get someone, like, a really good recording. He was right up you on the hear, microphone. Yeah. Kind of like this. But... It was really sweet just to hear the way he pronounces the words. As if he's tracing the letters. Like, he did a really good job in that voiceover. Yeah, and it was just kind of cool to hear, like, a really, really old dude. Um, God, how old would he have been? In his late 70s, I guess? In 1970? So he was born in 1910 or something. Well, yeah, I mean, the character was sev- the character was 70. Um and I don't feel like he was that much older than his character. Arthur Bro or Brawl? B-R-O-U-G-H. Right. I'm not sure. Um, he was born in 1905, and he died in 78. He died so, in May 78. So he would have been 72. That seems so young. Right. But he seems so old. I, but it was, as we talked about, old back then was not very old today. Right. So why don't we leave everyone in suspense and head on <laughs> down to the canteen for a tea break? I could just go for a lovely cup of Earl Grey. We'll be right back after we come back from the canteen. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? 
or an official podcast sofa pillow, perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Doesn't Matter merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. You know, first Mr. Granger is really obstropolous with me all morning. And then that cow of a manageress, it, it put me right off my food. I, I'm going on a hunger strike. <laughs> um, well, considering it's a canteen food, that's very easy to do. I had a very <laughs> lovely gla- um, glass. What, what am I doing? A lovely cup of Earl Grey. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, uh, you, don't, you don't always have to have food. You can just have some tea. I'm running purely on caffeine at the moment, so that's good. <laughs> uh, and now, Unanimous, we are bringing back a segment. We you know, took a little bit of a break from it last week because we were so uh, distracted with the election, but we're bringing it back to one of our new segments, and we call this segment... I'm, I'm unanimous, unanimous in this! this. And uh, this week, as we teased a little bit earlier, we are going to be talking about... Uh, British author Ag- Agatha Christie. And we have invited superfan Heidi in to talk to us a little bit about one of her favorite authors. Yay. So we have number one superfan Heidi on the line with us. Uh, we, she, we flew her in with Grace Brothers Airlines to our northern Mississippi compound. Say hello, Heidi. Hello, everybody. Hello. So we have a segment. We, and when we say it, we have to say it together. Okay. Uh, so let's try to see if we can do it. Um, Jeff, Jeff gave you the whole tutorial on how to sync with Brandon, right? It's very complicated. <laughs> so now let's go into the new segment called... I, I am, am unanimous, unanimous in, in that. this. All right. Well done. <laughs> okay, so, sort um, of. <laughs> it'll be fine. We'll just edit it in post. Okay. Um, but Heidi, so thanks for joining us once again on the show. If you uh, unanimous listeners, we have a lot of new listeners these days. And if you go back awesome. to our old photos... Uh, our old photos, our old episodes. <laughs> what am I doing? Um, Heidi was our fabulous first super fan who joined us on the episode. Yay! Do you remember it which so episode fun. that was? I don't remember. Um, I think it was Hurrah for the Holidays. Oh, right. Gosh, we've done like over 30 episodes now. It's insane. It doesn't, um, it's, it's awesome. It really yeah, is awesome. <laughs> and we've, we have a lot more to go. So, um, but what we do is we kind of thought we'd talk about little English things that Jeff and I kind of obsess over. And we've kind of gotten to a point where like there's some, so many authors out there. And, you know, we were thinking, gosh, Heidi is a big, I remember you said you were a big mystery novelist, novel mm-hmm. fan. So that's why we wanted to invite you on. So um, oh, Heidi, yes. Heidi sent us a, a lovely message saying, Hey, have you folks ever thought about doing anything about Agatha Christie on your unanimous segment? And uh, <laughs> she included this cute photo of her little Rottweiler puppy dog. And um, so tell us about that photo. Well, that's my Aggie. That's one of my three. And uh, when we got her, you know, we had all these names picked out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And when um, we saw her the first time, it's like, no, 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 she's an Aggie. So <laughs> when we had her, we had her paper name, um, I always wanted, I thought Agatha would be great. She's my favorite author. Yeah. You know, why not? So we had her papered as uh, Agatha's Great Mystery as kind of an homage to my favorite author. 
Sweet. That makes me think of like a betting horse, like Agatha's great history. I'll take a hundred for her. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so tell me about Rottweilers. What's that about? Do you just, they're super cuddly and lovely? They are. Um, I know like some people think they're big, mean and scary, but my three are probably the biggest, goofiest clowns <laughs> you will ever meet. Oh. They know no stranger. They adore everybody. See. So. Totally. I love Rottweiler's faces and they have those cute little cheeks that you could just like scruff and love oh, yeah. on them and stuff. Kind of like uh, And they pitfalls. smile. I mean, if you if they, they're happy, it's like that is a true smile. They're awesome. Oh. So tell me why you named your dog after this lady who I know very little about. Well, um, like I said, Agatha Christie's my favorite author. I actually discovered her when I was 12. So um, mm-hmm. we won't talk about how long that was. <laughs> and I, 10 years ago. Yes, we'll say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was, you know, tired of the stupid teenage tween books at the time. And I was at the library and I went to uh, the adult section, you know. Whoa. The grown up, yeah, the grown up section. Not that and adult people. No, the no. The, yeah. The small town in Iowa, they, they didn't have that. but <laughs> <laughs> They didn't have them in Arkansas either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, well, you never know what would have happened there. But uh, anyway, it, it was one of those books that just kind of happened to, you know, the paperback on those, those spindles. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. that had a, like a tower and it spun around and it just kind of like called to me. I don't even know how to describe it, but they like, had yeah, that looks kind of good and took it home and read it. And I have read almost everything she's had since I've reread. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I've seen pretty much any TV or movie adaptation that they've they've come out with. And my top favorite author. So you we've talked on, on the on hurrah for the holidays when you were like our guest special host um, about your attraction to are being served and like UK humor and um, powerful women. You mentioned your grandmother, which I love that story mm-hmm. with Mike, Mrs. Slocum kind of thing. So what is, what do you think, is there an overlap between are being served and your love of British comedy and Agatha Christie? Is it that familiarity of that? There is. I mean, I love British humor, comedy books, you know, I guess I'm an Anglophile, you can say. Totally. So you're seeing a, a time span and social change and social structure and the class system change. And there's a couple times in some of the later books where some of the characters are complaining about how the young ones aren't dressing the way they should be and it's not proper. And oh, they yeah. go back to Mrs. Slocum, who there's one episode where she's complaining that the, the sales of her corsets are down because she says these women are just wearing caftans and they're... Their figures are just running riot, and I can't, you know, blah. Letting it all and, hang out. Right, yes, exactly. And so I, there's a lot of the little bit that you see in Are You Being Served is kind of expounded in the Agatha Christie books. Wow, that's cool. And, you know, especially like people trying to hang on to their class and their social structure or status. And it's fascinating to me. I mean, I also like history, so. That's like really profound. I, my, my, the reason why we invited you on, and thanks again for joining, is Jeff and I were like looking at each other, like, like stroking our beards, like, um, <laughs> uh, what I thought Agatha Christie was, was I knew it was like a mystery and I, mm-hmm. I saw like the PBS movies from like the nineties or whatever with that old actress. I forgot who that is. I'm sure you know exactly. Oh, there's a couple of them actually. Sure. But yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't know, but. I, I, what I really like about our being served is one, the comedy, just like you said, but I do, as, as we expound ad nauseum here on the, on the podcast, 
I really like the um, kind of unfolding and kind of breaking apart of what, what it, the class, the hierarchy thing that we, that's really foreign for us Americans. I mean, we do have a bit of it, but not like they do. And the idea of how that evolves, and especially from World War One, like from 19, what, 15, I guess? Something like that, 70s, yeah. the 70s, that's un- incredible. That's, that's a lot right. of work. There's, I mean, you, you think about the, the German episode mm-hmm. where, you know, uh, Mr. Granger's very, you know, not speaking very highly of the Germans. And it's like you see that in the books, I don't want to say like racist or anything, but it's mm-hmm. just like they're still kind of holding a grudge from World War II and from World War One. Right. That it's like that we don't, we've never had to experience here. Right. So, so it is, it's very fascinating to see like the development and the changes and all that. It seems like the way you've described Agatha Christie as someone who was keenly aware of her surroundings and what was going on in her world. Yes. And created these novels, writing it so that people a hundred years from now, from then, today, can mm-hmm. go back and feel like they're they're experiencing it, almost like a historical record. But of course, within the realm of fiction, as a mystery. Yes, exactly. Huh. Um, it's kind of fun to see the, what is it? The, the show upstairs, downstairs that they had mm-hmm. in England, yeah, yeah, that kind of, you know, you've got your downstairs people and the upper class and the, the, the maids and or Downton Abbey or whatever. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And so it's just fun to watch that all play out. And as time goes on, it's like, well, people don't have the household servants like they used to. And now they're, you know have to get their own tea and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's. I just rewatched the last season of Downton Abbey, and it was really kind of sad because you could see them saying, you know, all the other houses, all the other estates are being sold because, you know, um, Flop, Floppy had to, you know, what they all had funny names for each other. Floppy had to sell his house because he lost all his money in the stock market or yes. whatever. So I imagine reading the Christie books, you probably get a good sense of, like, the overarching trends of a decade and, and well and I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because her very first book was set in a manor house and that's how you meet one of her main characters a couple of them actually in her final book one of the final ones which I won't tell you a whole lot about because that's actually my favorite um it's back at the same house with the same characters but the people had to sell this manor house hmm. and it's now a motel you know and it's right. not up to the glory that it used to be back in the heyday, back in the you know early uh-huh. 1900s. And yeah, yeah. so that brings it all full circle. But like you said, it's just like, you know, well, so-and-so had to sell this house because of that or the stock market. And so she, I mean, she pulls all sorts of stuff together. She's got like 60, what was it, 66 novels, just the mysteries. <laughs> And then 154 short stories, and then like oh, six books that she wrote under another name, and there were more like romances. Oh my god! So, and then that's not including plays and everything else that she did. I mean, she's a busy woman. She sounds it. So there's a lot of material um, out there. Is what I'm oh, gathering. <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> yes, there was. So okay, so when you're 12, you go to the library, and then you see that revolving book stand, and there's a, what a paperback, I guess. Mm-hmm. Of an Agatha Christie. Which which book was that? And then there were none. Is that your favorite Agatha Christie book because that's the first one? Or is there one that you're like competing with? Or is it just all nostalgia? Well, a lot of it's nostalgia. That is one of my favorite ones. And I think that's one of like, I think that's the book that was rated as like the best mystery of all time ever. Oh, wow. 
again, I don't want to give anything away, but just like the whole story and how it ended was just fantastic. Um, oh, wow. Uh, Curtain is actually my very favorite. But those of you who are, you know, want to read Agatha Christie, don't read that one first. <laughs> Try to read that after you've read some Poirot ones first. I'll just put that okay. out there because I don't want to give away the ending. But that one, the way the murderer murdered people and how he was stopped it makes me cry every time <laughs> because there's a lot of sentiment there too, but it was just like just a brilliantly written book. Um, wow. Murder of Roger Ackroyd's a really good one because the kick in the pants in that book is literally on the last page and you're like, holy dun, God. Dun, dun. It was, and you're like, holy crap, I did not see that coming. And you're like, what did I, what did I just read? <laughs> so it, so they're just fun writers. She sounds like a really effective writer. And it's so sweet, the idea of like you kind of graduating yourself, which is, you know, you kind of have to, you, you get a graduation when you're a kid, but like you also kind of, there's that point in your life where you kind of make yourself graduate from like a kid to like an adult. And it sounds like that day for you was when you were in that library in, in Iowa. It was. And decided to read the big kid book, like an adult book. And it like totally worked for you. So it that's did. awesome. No, it's, it's opened a world for me that, you know, and I've always been a mystery buff since, but. And here's a, here's a funny question for you. Um, of all the characters on our being served, who is she most like? I would say Mrs. Slocum. Really? I, I absolutely do. Um, some of the things, like I said, I'm kind of an Agatha Christie nut. <laughs> so like Mrs. Slocum to me, like in the last episode that, you know, you guys did where, you know, Mrs. Slocum's like, well, I did play hockey, you know, I did play hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Agatha Christie was credited as the first Western woman to actually be on a surfboard. What? I know. So it's like, Ooh, you go girl. <laughs> okay. You go Agatha Christie. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And the fact that, um, she was not formally educated. She never went to school. Her mom for whatever reason, chose not to send her to school. So, And she made all of this. That's amazing. She made all of this, but it's like, I also like fun words. I'm kind of geeky that way. And like her use of language, like for someone that really wasn't that, you know, formally educated, like she picked that up somewhere. I mean, smart cookie. Um, we like smart cookies. Yes, we and, do. Um, that's fantastic. And now I want some cookies and a book by <laughs> Agatha Christie. So I, I think I'm going to go pick up a copy of And Then There Were None. Oh, and please I will, do. I will let you know. I will let please you know. do. Thanks for joining us. And Heidi, you get a bell. Gladys appreciates oh, you too. thank you. Thanks so much for joining us once again. And unanimous, go and buy a copy of Agatha Christie. And think of Heidi when you read oh, it. Oh, I hope so. Thank you so much. You've all done You've very all well, You've all done Heidi. very Thanks well. Again. Thank you. <laughs> and that was I Am Unanimous in this Thank you, Heidi. Thanks, Heidi. Woohoo! You've all done very well. So, what the hell were we talking about? Last we saw Mr. Granger, it was Friday evening, and he was writing his resignation letter slash will uh, in the <laughs> dark storeroom floor. Uh, we come back, it's Monday morning, and they're taking the dust cloths off the counters. And um, it turns out that Mr. Grace, uh, sorry, Mr. Granger had left um, a letter addressed to young Mr. Grace on the counter, right? So right. everyone kind of figured out what with that the means. Ro a rolled up with uh, the tape measure. Uh, it can only mean one with, thing, Mr. Jeff. It can only mean one thing, right? Oh yeah. Um, and Mrs. Slocum says, you know, she everyone is kind of upset with him, a little sad that he's gone, but not guilty, not really yet, not guilty at all, not yet. 
Um, <laughs> Mr. Mrs. Silkham is gr- glad to see the back of him because he was thoroughly obstropolous with, with me last week. And this is the second time that she's misused this word, right? Which is really obstreperous. Um, I thought it was a type of dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> the last time that she uh, used it was in Shoulder to Shoulder, the episode where they redecorate half a four at a time. Okay, what is the yeah. real word and what the hell does it mean? Because none of us know except you. It's The real word is obstreperous. Obstreperous. Obstreperous, right? And it's just like Mr. Granger is behaving. Very um, confrontational. Confrontational is easier for to say, but anyway. Miss Brahms is the only one who really feels a little bit of, you know, sorry for him. I think maybe because she can see, uh, she can relate a little bit more to someone like a grandfatherly figure or maybe an avuncular figure if she if he opened his arms Ooh, in an avuncular fashion. Right? Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Of, of um, an uncle. Of, uh, like an uncle. Captain Peacock knows that Mr. Harmon was listening in on their conversation in Rumble's office and reported <gasps> everything he said to them. Oh, so no. now that puts everyone off, right? Yeah. Mr. Granger comes in in the best mood ever, smiling and very chipper. He's actually walking a little bit faster than he normally does. (laughs) And he apologizes for being late. Like he takes a half of a beat. You think he's going to apologize for what he, the way he behaved last week, but he takes half a beat and says late. And then he goes, and he's like, Mrs. Great, Mrs. Slocum, I wonder if I can have a word. And then she's like, hold on a minute, everyone get behind me. I'm not. She like, She's basically taking off your earrings, ready for a fight. Don't you start, right? Poor Mr. Granger. And he surprises everyone. He doesn't feed into it. He just, you know, he apologizes for being so rude and unpleasant to everyone last week. He goes to each of them one by one and shakes their hand. Oh. Right? And they're all surprised. They're just kind of stunned that it's happening. Meanwhile, Mr. Humphrey starts sobbing. It's too much. I'm overcome. <laughs> he has his hanky. <laughs> he has his little hanky out, right? Oh. Uh, he goes to like, hang up his coat or, or get something out of the cloakroom. And Mr. Lucas says, well, I'll go to the foot of our stairs. As a kind of an exclamation. I was yeah, like, that was what an interesting one? one. Yeah. Right. So this takes, a, this takes a while to unpack this one. It is a northern phrase, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little odd that Lucas, being a Londoner, is using it. You think that that would be something more like uh, that Slocum would say, right? So yeah. if you imagine, if you imagine a staircase as an allegory for heaven and hell, you go upstairs to heaven or downstairs to hell. Okay, it's kind of like you know when you say to someone go to hell because you're upset with them. Mm. It's like you're sending yourself to hell because you're so stunned and surprised by what just happened. Well, I'll go to the foot of our stairs. I know. It's a lot. I look very, I'm sure I, to, to Mr. Jeff, I look very blank. Um, if I say, Jeff, go to hell. Right. I'm wishing that you go to hell. Right, because you're, you're, you're upset with me. Right. Right. But then, well, I'll go to the foot of our stairs. Am I just being dense? No, you're not. It, it's, 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 it's very... Uh, it, there's some really twisted logic. <laughs> There's some really <laughs> twisted logic to get there about how it's come about. Huh. But yeah, so it's so if I say, the, "Well, I'll go to the foot of our stairs," that means I'm what? so I'm really stunned and surprised. But where does the hell come into it, or does it? It's 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 almost like you're damning yourself oh. because you you just don't understand it. You're just so 
confused by the situation. Well, I'm trying to think now, like, now that you said that, like, you almost wish yourself to hell because you're so flabbergasted by something. Right. I want to say there's like a Southern phrase. Oh, well, I'll be damned. Oh, duh. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> like, this seems really familiar. Well, I'll be damned. Well, I'll there go to the go. foot of our stairs. The, you, 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 that's exactly it. <laughs> that's what I've been trying to explain, but I couldn't put that together. Yeah, that's exactly okay. well, I'll be damned. all right. Well, yeah. there we go. So they all feel awful now, right? You know, whereas Miss Brahms had the slightest twinge of sorrow for him. Now they feel awful and guilty, except for Mrs. Slocum. She's still she unconvinced that it's real, right? Yeah. Because she, um, I wonder if he's had, had some sort of spiritual awakening, just like St. Joan when them soldiers lit them faggots under her feet. So, listeners, in case, in case you've ever wondered where that word comes from, a bunch of sticks that you light on fire as if to make kindling are called faggots. That's where it comes from. They are also a type of sausage, which you will see in menus across... Uh, Britain, and it always kind of shocks you when you see it, and you have to remember, I'm on holiday in another country. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Humphreys reacts, well, that was enough to make anyone sit up and take notice, so good on him for reacting to that word, which, you know, wasn't, <laughs> probably isn't as popular as, um, not popular, or as well known as a slur, right, because they use fag for cigarette all the time. Yeah, it's funny, that, that reminds me of a um, thing when I was in my my God, I mean, 12 or 13, 14 years old back in the mid to early 90s. Um, you know, back then, John Inman would go around and use his fame to raise money for PBS. It was actually a really cool thing. Um, I don't think anyone else, I think Nicholas Smith, uh, Mr. Rumbold, did as well, not as much as John Inman. But I, I remember, you know, I think I told the story on the, on the podcast where he came to Conway, Arkansas to um, help PBS uh, in Arkansas educate um, AETN, the Arkansas Educational Television Network, uh, raise money. They always raise you know, funds every year. For and the pledge drive. A pledge yeah. drive, yeah, exactly. So he was there, and, and um, one of my life um, uh, things that I, I wish I had done, my regrets in life, is that I never went to go see him. I think I was 16, and I think it was like a... 30-minute drive on the freeway, and my mom was like, Brandon, you're 16. That's too far. So I couldn't go and, like... Because you can go and answer the phones, and you get to meet John Inman, and I, I didn't do it. But anyway. Mm. Um, anyway, the reason I'm mentioning this is there was a... He was going on these the circuit for all these PBS stations, and there were, like, little videos that you could buy of, like, just him talking about the show and whatever. And, of course, back in the 90s, John Inman was officially not out of the closet. And, of course, I'm speaking as a proud member of the John Inman fan club, which I joined when I was 12. So <laughs> there you go. But even even back then, we would have, like, you know, Xerox copies of, like, a handwritten little newsletter that some lady in the in England somewhere made. and In her duplicating cupboard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it would be just, like, random facts about John Inman. And it would always ask, you know, like, how much does he weigh? 10 stone, whatever. I have no idea what that means. How tall is he? A hundred and whatever, 67 centimeters. No idea. And then he would say, why haven't, why are you still single, John? And he would always answer, I've just never met the right woman. Which is like the old fashioned, 
Like, I'm Confirmed gay. bachelor. I'm gay, just don't go there, people, kind of answer. No. But anyway, so all of this long story to say, there was a video that I saw. It was probably recorded on AETN, Arkansas PBS, where it was like a Q&A session with, with John Inman. Of course, it was like in the South, and, you know, it was in some conference center that would, like a, a, an audience with John Inman, I think it was called. If anyone knows where this video is on YouTube, let me know and post it to us. It would be cool to see. But he talks about a question that's asked. Um, Mr. Inman, did it make you feel weird that you played a gay character on the TV show? Kind of a weird question to be asked of John Inman. And, of course, in his kind of quasi not out, but uh, of course he was sort of out, but just not officially, right? And anyway, he says, well, you know, back when I was... Back, you know, this is no, 30 years ago to him. Back back 30 years ago when I was doing the show, um, they said, we're going to make some changes to the, to, the, to the show. And we're going to get rid of the puff. And, of course, the reason I'm mentioning the story is puff in Britain is kind of like a slur, a gay slur for, yeah, for gay men. It's, right. Here, it's, I, I picture a powder puff. Like, it doesn't mean anything here. The F word is a big deal, right? And before when we said the F word, we weren't referring to what the F word is. So that's why I'm saying F word now. But it was weird because in the 90s, he said, you know, like, they said, we, we got to get rid of the puff. And John Inman said, and if the puff goes, I go. Kind of saying, kind of saying like, hey guys, I'm a puff, basically. But then right. of course he realized, oh, these Americans have no idea what I'm talking about. And he said, Oh, of course, you know, in, in Britain, puff means F word. And everyone was like, oh, okay, yeah, now we got it. Now we got it. Mm. So it's just like right. John Inman explaining what the F word means. Weird. I think if that would have happened today. Oh, it would have um, never aired, yeah. I think that if that would have happened today, it probably would have met with great applause because he's re- that would be an example of him reclaiming that word. Yeah, and also just like him standing up in like 1975 or whatever. I mean, it would be so cool, you know, thinking about what these people today would do with John Inman and how important he was. But that's the thing, you know, sometimes people are not appreciated in their time. So Mr. Granger comes back from the uh, from the cloakroom and reveals that the reason he's changed his attitude is because he because he's won the pools. A perm on the treble chance, and he got eight draws. That makes so much sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I was younger, I figured like he won the lottery, right? Is what I thought like the exam. The, yeah. This was, but it's not really right. So there really there there is a lottery today, but the primary form of gambling back then in um, the UK and in most of the US actually was betting. On sports, here in the U.S., it was mostly um, horse racing, mm. uh, but in the U.K., it, it was on football. Um, and so, what you'd go is you'd go to um, a bet shop, which they're still ubiquitous in the U.K. today. Like you can't go far if you're in London without coming across like a William Hill or a Ladbrokes, Ladbrokes, yeah, or any of those even little tiny we, towns it's probably impossible to go to a town right. without a betting you've shop you've got you've got your you've got your tescos <laughs> you've got your greggs oh, you've got yes. your costa coffee and you've got your ladbrokes all <laughs> right next to each other exactly. on the high street right and a charity I shop mean, or two 
here in this here in the states we used to have off track betting OTB we actually had the same thing and they were just as ubiquitous but um, Rudy Giuliani closed them down or they went out of business because Rudy just Rudy Giuliani's to blame somehow <laughs> anyway so let's break down what exactly Mr Rumble uh, Mr Granger won right so okay. the pools is betting on football or soccer right and the name of the game is treble chance. And treble is the British word for triple. Right? That, so it's a triple that's chance. confusing. Okay. Okay. So what they would do is every every weekend there are soccer games being played, right? There mm-hmm. are multiple soccer games being played across the country. Okay. And there'd usually be somewhere between 9 and 13 games that are going on that weekend. Okay. And so based on the games that are played, you had to guess which ones would result in a non-zero tie or draw. Right? Uh, okay, I'm with you. Okay. So, a perm is short for permutation. And that means he played different combinations of teams. Right? I'm reminded because, why I don't play the lottery, because it gets so complicated for my brain. Right. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, the thing is, a lot of the a lot, you know the lot of the teams may not have been announced ahead of time, so you wouldn't necessarily know who was playing. I see. Until okay. maybe the day of the match, so because it was all like about um, you know uh, uh, elimination order and who can actually travel and make the logistics whatever, right? So you had to guess who was going to play, who was going to play each other, and who would result in. A zero uh, in a non-zero tie. So would you say it's almost like the football brackets? Is that what those are called that the straight people do? Where there's like thirty teams, and then you have to guess who would end up being the t- the two remaining after the end of the little thing, well, and then what is, are their scores? You know, it's not really. It's not a tournament where there's you know a, a single elimination or double elimination, but it, it's it's something similar, right? Where you've got to make guesses and predictions, right? Okay. So, um, he got eight draws, which means he correctly picked eight of the matches that were happening that weekend, which is one of the biggest prizes that were there, right? Okay. And so ev- everyone, you know, knows what's going on. Like they understand that he has won a lot of money, and they don't exactly know how much the jackpot is. And Mr. Granger is so out of it, he doesn't even know that what the jackpot could be either, right? Because he'd won the pools once before back in 1936. And back <laughs> then he ago. won uh, 22 pounds, 15 and 6 pence, which would have been 22 pounds, 77 pence in old money, which is 260 pounds in 1977, or 1,600 pounds today, or about $2,000 today, right? Which isn't a lot of money. But, you know, it, it's it's a good chunk of change, but you can't retire on it. Right, right? yeah. You'd be happy, and but so, it wouldn't, like, you know, you wouldn't quit your job. Right. So then he goes, it might be as much as 50 pounds now. This is, he, he has changed his attitude so much <laughs> just on, like, this little happy-go-lucky circumstance that he's won the pools. He doesn't think he's retiring on it. He thinks he has, like you know, a little bit of pocket change where he's going to get to buy his co-worker's gift and maybe something for his wife at the end of the day. And that's changed his attitude completely, right? It's not even like he thinks like, oh, I'm retiring, I'm getting out of it's here. It's really sweet, All my troubles actually. are over. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is, right? 
And then they break the news to him. Well, last week there were only nine draws on the coupon and someone won half a million pounds. And so he is absolutely stunned, which we get a great example of glass of water for Mr. Granger. (laughs) Yeah. So in Mr. Rumble's office, Peacock is discussing it and he finds out that Mr. Granger didn't tick off the no publicity box on his betting slip. So now they're worried about the optics, about firing a 70-year-old man. Oh, yeah, I see. Because even though he wrote his resignation letter, he was kind of forced into it, you know, or he yeah. felt forced into it, right? Yeah. So um, the phone rings, and it's the man from the pools firm. And Mr. Humphreys is the one who takes the, uh, takes the call. And I guess they looked into his record, and he did an up and down, 8 by 12, any 4 from 9, double V plan. No idea what that means, but it sounds <laughs> impressive, right? That is, that is lost to time, I think. So he didn't get his eight draws all in the same column. Apparently, like, he like played it out over several games and didn't do it all in one game. I pictured a bingo card, basically, yeah, when he exactly. said this. right. So the first prize this week was four hundred thousand pounds, which would be worth two and a half million pounds today. So that's like three, three, three and a half million bucks. It's a lot US of money. Bucks, it's yeah. it's reti- it's retirement money, right? Right, right. Yeah. He didn't win first prize. He didn't win second prize. He didn't win third prize. He didn't win fourth prize. There is a fifth prize, but did he, he win it? Win And Mr. Humphreys is just silently shaking his head the entire time, right? So sad. I love that scene. I love when Mrs. Slocum, is there a fifth? And then he nods. Did he he get it? it? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. I guess it's just like when you you play the lottery and, I I don't know, let's make it up, where you can choose ten numbers on one line, let's say, if you ever played the lottery. What if you got... Seven of seven numbers. It doesn't mean you win anything. It's still lucky, but you have to win them all. Kind of is the way I understand this, right? Some something like that, right? Yeah. Well, who's going to tell Granger? Bags, not me, says Lucas. Right. So we we learned this a while ago that Bags is dibs is their version for dibs. Oh, dibs. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mr. And Mr. Humphrey says, "Well, bags don't count because I've got my fingers crossed." That's <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? so funny. <laughs> They're like kids. All he wanted was 50 quid, and he didn't even get that. Now they're all heartbroken for him, right? Yeah. So Mr. Granger comes back, and he actually bought everyone presents with his winnings because he thought that he had won 50 pounds. And now they're all really heartbroken for him because they feel <laughs> super guilty. You know, that yeah. he's now he's, you know, 50 pounds in debt because he doesn't even have that. Um, he got Peacock a silver holder for his carnation. Uh, Mrs. Slocum, a Diamante collar for her pussy. No, what is Diamante? Is that like, we've talked about that. That's like cubic zirconia, right? That's like right, fake it's diamonds. Fake, fake diamonds. Diamond but Owl. We, we would call them what in the States? Diamond Owl, cubic zirconia. Uh, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Miss yeah. Um, Brahms got some French perfume. And by the look of the end credits, an awful lot out of it. She's like got like a gallon jar of it, like a jug of it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Lucas got a battery shaver. Mr. Humphreys got a blow dryer with three speeds. And Mr. Rumbold got a silver spoon for his coffee. And, and Captain Peacock received a silver carnation holder, which I thought right. was a very classy idea. Yeah. 
So they want to pay him back, but they realize he's never going to take the money, right? So they arrange arrange a whip round, and they'll tell him that the pool said that he only won 50 bucks, 50 quid, and they'll get the Liverpool branch of Grace Brothers to send uh, Mr. Granger a postal order for the money because the, the Liverpool, uh, the pool's firm was based in Liverpool. And so, so, it's so a, what the they're going to do is, would have to come. Because yeah. they all got something they wanted and they all liked it, they're going to chip in and then have the Liverpool office of Grace Brothers send him a check and that he'll think that that's the money he won. Okay. Yeah. So Mr. Harmon managed to get uh, Mr. Granger's resignation letter off of Mr. Grace's desk in time before he saw it. So they're going to convince Mr. Granger that um, Mr. Grace wouldn't accept his resignation so he could keep his job because he's not going to be able to retire because he's not getting, you know, 400,000 yeah. pounds, right? Yeah. Next thing you know, the paramedics are carrying someone in in a stretcher and everyone assumes that it's Granger fainting from the bad news that he didn't win the pools. But it's actually Mr. Humphreys. As soon as I got the words out, the blood drained <laughs> away from me, right? And then Mr. Granger comes in, you know, very concerned about Mr. Humphreys' well-being and completely unfazed by not winning, right? See, he wasn't even expecting in the first place. His co-workers are the one that told him that he probably won the jackpot. And at the end of the day, he, he has, you know, just the 50 pounds. And that's all he ever wanted. So it's he just, says, he's like you know he's a modest guy. Like he, all he wanted was fifty bucks. I mean, that's two thousand yeah. dollars. Let's say two thousand dollars, right? Today, that's enough to make me a happy guy. That's for sure. But right. yeah, he's just like a simple guy who was just kind of in a rut, and now everyone feels guilty. So right, good for him. And so he he's glad that they, uh, Mister Grace, wouldn't take his resignation, and he decides to start reading his. Um, resignation letter to everybody right because how <laughs> just how silly he was to be in uh in in such a bad mood so yeah uh, uh you know i mr granger being of sound mind well that wasn't true that was a lie from the start regretfully <laughs> i have to tell you that you are a miserable old boot captain peacock oh. is nothing but a nitpicky old busybody mrs slocum is a frustrated old cow um frustrated implies sexually frustrated here right um and as for Mr. Humphreys, <gasps> oh, oh, oh dear, I did go too far. So we don't actually get to hear. He just shows Mr. Humphreys the letter. Who no, no, sobs. Mr. Humphreys snatches it out of his hands. Oh, he does. Oh, you're right, he does. <laughs> he reads it. He starts to cry and gets angry, rips up the letter, and then stamps on it as well. <laughs> I, I got I to gotta start stamping on stuff. You know, something we didn't go into, which I, I, I thought was a really cute addition to this episode. And really, that's the end of it. We just covered the end of the show. And that's, that's the episode, yeah. Yeah, but um, I love how three or four times in the episode – you would hear, don't worry, sir, if the nightgown is too long, it'll ride up with wear. It'll don't ride worry, up with sir, wear, yeah. If the hat is too big, it'll ride it'll ride up with wear, ride down with wear. And then you'd see the women on the women's counter. Oh, don't it's worry, the madam. gusset of the pantyhose. The gusset of the pantyhose will ride up with wear. It was so <laughs> cute. It was sort of like just a little love letter to the fans. It's adorable. Yeah. Uh, no, you're, yeah, right, so, you're, you're right. There was, a, there was a cute little button that we kept getting over and over again. Yeah. This episode, like, I have to say, like, every now and then there would be, a, I mean, it's a comedy, of course, but um, I'm trying to remember there's an episode where I went on a soliloquy on the podcast about uh, Mrs. That Slocum. would be everyone. 
that would be every episode of the podcast would be done so you know, far, Mr. Brandon. <laughs> you know, Jeff, that reminds me of a time when my grandmother told me when I was about four years old. <laughs> we were shucking shell. We were shucking purple-eyed, purple-hole peas. On her porch there in Tupelo, Mississippi. She said, Brandon? No, I'm just doing um, but, but there's a, there's a thing where Mrs. Slocum... Oh, it's the episode where she thought that Mr. young Mr. Grace was going to ask her to marry her. Yep. Marry him. Oh, yeah. That's another kind of maudlin one. Yeah. Uh, I don't suppose there is at all. Do you, yeah, and uh, I, I don't think I fancy it now. I mean, so sweet. And then you see a little bit of like... Really heartfelt acting of uh, Arthur Bro Bra, how, however you say his name. So it's kind of a little treat to have, like, I mean, it's funny, 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 ha, ha, ha. But it's kind of cool to see how you have both sides of that in this episode. Yeah. So, Mr. Brandon, what are we going to talk about next week? Well, um, next week we have the episode, It Pays to Advertise, which... <laughs> Um, <laughs> I just can't even think about it. It's the episode where they do a commercial about a cocktail bar with lovable. Uh, oh no, what was Mr. Granger's uh, title? Um, Billy the lovable old bartender. No, Henry. Henry. Henry the lovable old bartender. And then Mrs. Slocum <laughs> is dressed up and she can't see, and they put the microphone in. <laughs> That's so stupid. Oh my god! I'm gonna be giggling a lot next week. Um, yeah, it's an it's uh, each episode. I say this is one of the best ones. This is better than the best ones. This the, the, the goodbye, Mr. Granger. Pretty good, gotta say. Advice <laughs> to advertise any time where they have to like do other characters. Such good comedy, Mr. Oh. Rumbled. Rumble. Mr. Rimbled. <laughs> We've got Mr. Humphreys playing director in that one. So that, yeah, anytime that they have to like rehearse something yeah. or it, it, it's really great. And then they have like the, the gay director, like the, the cameraman or something, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he was, um, the actor who played him was on a couple of episodes. We just talked about him. I feel like he was on something very recently. Yeah, he was also on another Lloyd and Croft sh- um, show where he was the star of Allo Allo. Uh, Unless I'm getting confused, but we'll we'll figure that out next week, won't we? We'll find that out next week. <laughs> so, listeners, um, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us a story about uh, the last time that you won the pools with a treble <laughs> chance on an eight by four perm, double V um, thing, whatever, <laughs> you can uh, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or on Twitter, or you can write us an old fashioned email at that does suit madam with an e at gmail.com. Or you can call the Peacock Hotline at 662-PEACOCK. That's 662-732-2625. That's right. And by the way, if you are not in the United States and you do not want to spend 20 bucks calling an American northern Mississippi hotline to leave us a silly voicemail, just make a voice memo recording on your smartphone and email it to us. That works too. Until next time, Unanimous, you've all, you've all done, done very well. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. All wagers are final. <laughs>